we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you guys. And those of you that are joining us online at the bridge, wherever you may be, it's good to be here with everybody. And uh, as the video suggested, we are in our second weekend of this journey that we began last week. And it's this idea where we're, we're looking at life through the lens of the storms in our past and the things that the storms teach us about ourselves, about God, about our world. Uh, so to begin, I want to begin with just a couple of quick stories. And the first one takes us back to 1987. It was in the uh, storm season, so probably around May, June-ish. Uh, I'm in the, uh, the thriving metropolis of Joshua, Texas. I'm at my dad's house for the weekend, and the sky turns like really, really dark gray. And then the clouds, they start to make this funny shape. I'd never seen it before. It was kind of, the clouds were making like a, a funnel shape. I'm like, wow, what's that? My dad said, oh, that's a tornado, son. <laughs> oh, boy. Tornado's in full effect. We got nowhere to go. There's no secure place for us to go, no place to hide. And as this storm is raging, I've got this question just bouncing around in my six-year-old mind that I'm haunted by. I can't get beyond this question. After uh, college, one of, my, one of my close friends, she and her boyfriend, they decided to get married. And shortly after that, they say, you know, we we want to start a family now. They want to have kids. And a year goes by, and another year, and another year. No kids. All of the work they could do, all the work the doctors could do with fertility, nothing. It never happens for them. And in the middle of this storm for them, that same question that I, I was asking myself at age six, it becomes their question in this storm. It, it becomes their prayer, so to speak. There's a, a woman that I know. Sweet woman, but she's, she's got a past. She's got a checkered past. If you, if you look at her life in the rear view, what you'll find is burn bridge after burn bridge after burn bridge. All because of this prison that she had lived in, the prison of addiction. But she's on the other side of it. God has delivered her from the addiction. But now she's doing the hard work of trying to rebuild all of those burn bridges in her past so that she can once again have a relationship with her kids. But after each failed attempt at trying to reestablish trust with the family, the same question, the same prayer that I had, that my friend had, it becomes her prayer in this moment. And it's one of the most quoted prayers of David of all time. The prayer, the question is this, how long, how long, O Lord, how long? I'm guessing we've all said that prayer at least once in our lifetime because that's what we want to know. When the storm hits, how long is it going to last? If we just knew back in March of last year, how long was that storm going to last? Do I have any cowboy fans in the house? Where are my cowboy fans? I, I, I can't be alone. What prayer do we say every January since 1997? How long? How long are we going to wait? How long are we going to endure certain things as cowboy fans? 
What about toddlers? When you put toddlers in their car seat and you strap them down, most of them, what's the first thing they do? They freak out. They scream. They cry. Why? Because they are in shackles. They are in a prison in their own mind, and there's no way for them to know how long they're going to be like that. And it's a feeling we never grow out of. We hate being in the dark about how long something is going to last. You see, sometimes with the storm, it's not how painful the storm is. It's the agony of not knowing how long it's going to last. King David's prayer in Psalm 13, this is that prayer. He prays, how long? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? David prays this prayer of desperation, and 3,000 years later, it sounds like somebody wrote it today. And so the storm has a way of teaching us something, something that that we, we won't learn in any other arena. And it's one of life's most painful lessons. So last week, we looked at how the storm teaches us the lesson of humility. This week... The storm, it teaches us that hard, painful lesson called patience. Let's pray. Father God, we, we, we still our minds, our hearts, and our spirits because we long to hear from you. We wait to hear from you. We need to hear from you, Father. Because we know that you are good, you are a giver of all that is good, and that you are trustworthy. So, Father, teach us to be patient. Teach us to wait on your word. Teach us to be okay with the waiting. In your son's name, amen. So, I want you to go ahead and turn to to Psalm 13 in your Bibles. And what we're going to do is we're going to work our way through this prayer of David while we look at the next chapter in David's, in David's story. So last week when we left off, David was victorious over Goliath. So now here we are in the next chapter in David's life, which we could call this season of David's life on the run, because that's essentially what he's doing this whole uh, season of his life. So years later, he's anointed as the new king of Israel. But the problem is the current king, King David, or sorry, King Saul, King Saul is still in power. And he doesn't want to give up his throne. And in his delusional mind, he's fearful of David. He thinks that David is going to try to take his throne away from him. So Saul, in response, says, well, you know what? It might be better if I just go ahead and kill David now. Be done with it. Problem solved. And so I'm going to be pulling from 1 Samuel 23. But I want you to stay in Psalm 13 because what I want you to do is as you're listening to the story of David, this, this chapter, this storm in his life, I want you to, to really pay attention to how he's praying through the storm. So here we are in, 20, in chapter 23. David's on the run, and he's got a crazed madman on his tail. Saul is tracking him down. While he's running away, he, he gets word about this town, this town called Keilah. And they're under attack by his old buddies, the Philistines. See, the Philistines at this point, they're on this this eastward expansion, and they set up camp in the town of Keilah, and they're just plundering it. Well, David hears about that. He hears about the town. What does he do? He goes to God, and he asks God 
do I need to go save the key lights? I want you to pay attention to this because I think this is really important. David is on the run. He's got a crazy guy trying to kill him. But in that moment, that even though he's, he's in this storm, it doesn't keep him from noticing the people around him. It doesn't keep him from noticing the storms in other people's lives. You see, he takes a big risk because the town of Keilah, it's a closed-off city. There's only one way in and one way out. So he knows if he goes into the town to save the key lights, if Saul finds out, David's a sitting duck. He's trapped. But he does it anyway. He goes to God, and he says, God, is this my fight? And God says, yes. In your notes, what we're going to do, you have two columns, column A, column B. And as we work through this, column A is going to uh, suggest things that patient people don't do, what they will not do when the storm hits. But in column B is what they will do. So here we are with David exhibiting a level of patience that, that, that many of us struggle with. But the first thing is this. The first thing that the, the storm teaches us, patient people, column A, they avoid the quick fix. And this is tricky for us because our physical bodies, I mean, it's like this gravitational pull out of our own brokenness to satisfy the self early and often as quickly as possible. I mean, if you're in David's shoes and you got somebody trying to kill you, what are the chances that in that moment you're going to even notice anybody else's need, let alone attend to it? But see, this is where patience begins when the storm hits, even in your own storm, being able to look beyond yourself and look beyond that moment and see the people around you. Just, just a quick reality check. And I don't, you don't need to raise your hand, but I want you to reflect. I want you to reflect honestly. Since you've been here today, have you noticed the needs of anybody else? Have you, have you seen that person this morning who looks lost? Maybe they're here for the first time. Have you seen them? Or have you seen the person that's here? Maybe they have a smile but you know, behind that smile is a lot of pain, a lot of grief. They're going through something really difficult. Have you seen that person yet this morning? Or the person that even though there's, there's so many people, they're surrounded by a crowd, they still look lonely, just waiting for somebody to see them, for somebody to say hi. Have you seen these people this morning? All three of them are here right now, I promise you. I've seen all three. You see, when, the, when, when our storms hit, what, what do we do? We, we, we close everything off. We hunker down. When, when the storm hits, that's when we say things like, it's, it's me time. I got to take care of me and mine. I, I got enough junk on my own. I can't worry about your junk. And we lie to ourselves. We say, but, but when my storm passes, then, then I can help you. Then I'll help you out. I just, I got to get through this. But what happens? The storm passes. And then another one comes, and then another one, and then another one. Don't let the storm steal your empathy. You see, David, he's figured something out through his journey. He's figured this out. It's that often the way God helps us navigate through our storms is by getting into the junk of somebody else's life and helping them with theirs. What, what does a, a person do if they're in the storm of depression? Often the counselors will tell them, hey, go surf somewhere. 
Go be connected with somebody's need. Go serve in a kitchen. Go serve in a shelter. Go serve in a nursing home. Somehow get beyond yourself and be connected with the needs of others. Why? Because when you do that, it changes your desire. It reframes your entire world, how you think about your priorities, the things that you're worried about, the things that you're afraid of, the things that you think are important. It reframes all of that. It changes your desire. You see, David, what does is, what is David desire? Listen to this prayer in Psalm 13. How does he begin? How long? How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? He yearns. He desires above his own personal safety, above his own need for self-gratification. He yearns for God. What do you, what do you desire? Really, really, what do you desire? Just as a fun little exercise, if you, if you, if you want, this week, write, write down a list of three things. And write down, these are the top three things that I desire the most. Write them down. And then go over and check your bank account, your calendar, and the screen time on your iPhone and tell yourself, ask yourself, do these three things point to the things that I say I desire the most? Do they? Because if they don't, what I will tell you is that first column, that's what you want to desire. But the second column tells you what you really desire. You see, David, he doesn't have a bank account. He doesn't have a calendar. He doesn't have a phone. But if he did, all three of them, I'm telling you, they're pointing to God. David's sending God friend requests. David is tagging God in posts. God is always trending in David's world. Why? Because he yearns for God above anything else. And when the storm hits, even when it's painful, he still yearns, waits, listens for God. You see, in your notes, patient people, instead of looking for the quick fix in column B, they embrace the pain. They don't, they don't shield their eyes from it. They don't try to medicate it. They lean into it. So here David is. He's in the town of Keilah. And he's trapped in as he's, as he's fighting the Philistines. Well, sure enough, Saul finds out where David is. And Saul says, okay. He calls up his army. He says, let's go and take care of this a nuisance once and for all. Let's go kill David. David here gets word of this. He hears that, that Saul is on his way. And so, what is David's next move? There in verse 10 in chapter 23, David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. The storm's closing in on David. It's, it's starting to envelop him, but he doesn't freak out. He doesn't panic. He goes to God. Before he asks anybody else, he goes to God to see what God thinks. And it's not this freaked out sort of prayer where he's saying, oh God, oh God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? It's not that at all. It's a very genuine, okay, God, there's a storm coming, and his name is Saul. What's my next move? What do I need to do? You see, in your notes, patient people, when, when the storm hits, column A, they don't spiral. I had a conversation recently with a relative, and they were in a storm. And as I'm, I'm listening to them on the phone, listening to them unpack their storm, as they describe their storm, what do they do? They start 
spiraling, where one negative thing leads to another and another and another, and it's just compounding. They're coming up with the most ridiculous of fears as though it's an actual fact, a reality of life that they're going to have to deal with. And every step, there's no hope. There's no resolution. There's no way that things are ever going to work out for them. And in that moment, I actually had to break my rule. And on the phone, I had to raise my voice just to get them to shut up long enough so that they could breathe and they can listen. You see, impatient people, they struggle with this. When the storm hits, they have a hard time listening in the storm. Have you, have you been in those seasons? Have you been in those seasons where you're freaking out, you're spiraling, you're asking God, why, 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 what am I going to do, what am I going to do? So last week when I told you the, the storm of my life when I was in college, how my, my day of graduation, that was, that, was that, that pivotal point for me that night when I went to bed saying, okay, I've got to make some changes in my life. It's time to get to work. That next morning, the day after I graduated college, that began a new season in my life, a new journey where I'm reaching out. I'm asking God, okay, God, where are you leading me? The answer to that question came about eight years later. Eight years of me searching, listening, learning, trying to understand, wrestling, figuring out, God, where are you leading me? Now, to be fair, it's not to say it took God eight years to answer the question. More likely, it took me eight years to learn how to listen, eight years for me to kind of burn away some of the selfish desire that was shrouding my ability to listen to God. You see, sometimes we, we hear where God is leading us. We just, we don't, we don't like what we hear. And so what do we do? We just, we keep asking the same question, thinking eventually, hey, God's answer is going to change. God tells Jonah, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah says, how about I go here? No, no, no. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Well, then how about I go over here? Jonah, you're not hearing me. I want you to go to Nineveh. I'll tell you what, God, I'm going to hop in this boat and I'm going to go here. Jonah, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to swallow you up by, with a fish, and I'm going to take you to Nineveh. You're getting there. You see, when, when we, we hear what God's saying, sometimes we, we go to God with this prayer. God, these are my plans. This is where I'm going. Would you, would you bless my path? It doesn't work that way. We can't ask God's blessing on a path that he's not paving for us. When the storm hits, and we go to God in prayer, asking God, where are you leading me? Really... If we're honest, this is what we want God to say. <laughs> right? God, there's a traffic jam ahead. Could you uh, reroute us really quick? And, and you want God to say, okay, all right, Chris, here's what you're going to do. You're going to exit here, go about a mile east, and then uh, five miles north, a mile west, get back on the freeway. Smooth sailing, you'll avoid the storm altogether. That's what we want God to say. But God says, no, there's no shortcut through this storm. And it's going to be painful but I'm walking with you. So here David is. The storm's coming for him, but he doesn't react out of emotions. He sees the moment for what it is as an opportunity to hear from God, a chance to understand about where God is leading him, about what God is doing in his life. He aligns his desires with God's desires instead of the other way. What did we say last week? Comfort is temporary. Growth is eternal. And so in the heat of the moment, David, he listens to the direction of God, and then he follows in obedience. What does he say there in, in, in verse 3 in Psalm 13? How does he pray? He says, look on me and answer, O Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. 
in your notes, when the storm hits, patient people, they don't spiral. Column B, they know how to be still. David yearns for God, listens for God, and he's figured out, apart from God, he's powerless. He knows this about himself. And when everything around him is going crazy and is chaotic, what does David do? He stills his spirit, and he listens. He listens for a word from God as though his life depends upon it like the next breath he's going to take. And because he does this, he follows the direction of God. He's able to escape the town. He, he's able to leave before Saul is able to get there. So here we are. Once again, David's on the run. He's wandering in the wilderness. There in verse 15 of 1 Samuel, it says, While David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. So Saul gets to the town, finds out that David's already gone. He finds out where David's going. He's tracking him down. But I want to point something about, uh, about that, that phrase there, he learned. Because it means a little bit more. In, in the Hebrew, it's got a little more of an expansive understanding. Another way that you could say it is this. He saw and was afraid. You need to hold on to that. Listen, David trusted God. David put his hope in God. He listened for God. But that didn't keep him from being afraid. Your fear does not show a lack of trust or a lack of faith in God. How you respond to your fear, that will tell you whether or not it's a lack of faith. And you think about last year, I saw it all too well, unfortunately, how so many people responded when the storm hit last March. Some people couldn't flee from God or flee from the church fast enough. They found another way to medicate. They found another way because they couldn't take the pain. They were uncomfortable with it, and they've been there ever since, all because it didn't happen the way they wanted to, when they wanted it to happen that way. But you see, that moment, when, when everything turns upside down, that's, that's the moment where the storm can really shape you in a powerful way. In your notes, patient people, when the storm hits, column A, they don't put God on their schedule. You see, David is afraid, but he waits. You see, sometimes your fear can point you in the direction of your faith. When you're obedient through your fears. See, David knows Saul is tracking him down, yet he doesn't, he doesn't knee jerk. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't, oh, I gotta go here, I gotta go here. Sometimes when we knee jerk, we make emotional decisions to avoid a hit or avoid a storm. We'll avoid that one storm, but we'll find ourselves stepping right into another one. David doesn't do this. He waits, and because he waits, he's patient through his fear. God sends him a powerful message, and it comes by the way of Jonathan the son of Saul, the son of the guy trying to kill him. Jonathan comes to David and says, I give you my word. My father will not lay a hand on you. And he, he receives this message because he was there to receive it. He was patient. I wonder how many times we're on the verge of a message or a revelation or a word from God that will forever change our world, and we miss it because of impatience. We look at the watch and say, oh, got this thing I got to get to. I used to teach guitar often. I had a lot of students over the years, and unfortunately, I had a number of students where this was, this was the narrative. They would, they would take guitar for a couple of months, and then after a couple of months, they would come up to me, and they say, well, you know, Chris, I, I think maybe guitar is just not my thing. I think I'm going to quit, and I asked, well, why is that? Tell me more. 
well, you know, I've been at it for a couple of months, and I've done everything he asked me to do, but I still can't play the songs that I want to play. And I say, okay. Externally, I, I just respond with, well, maybe you could try this instrument or this instrument. Maybe you could, you know, find something else. Internally, I'm having a different conversation, and that's this. As they're saying this in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, are you really that delusional? Do you, do you really think a few months is enough to, to get to where you want to be? Like, the song you're trying to play, it took that guitar player a long time to do it, but for you, a few months should be enough, really? And then it opened the door to what I would argue is the most ridiculous video game of all time, Guitar Hero. I don't get it. I've had people try to explain it to me. I still don't get it. Don't waste your time. Don't spend your... You could spend the same amount of money and the same amount of time, and you, you could actually play it for real. You don't have to simulate it. That's a side note. I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I'll never understand that. But it's a mentality, though, I would argue, that extends well beyond that arena. I see it happen in marriages often. God, I'm done. I'm out. I'm done waiting on this person to be the person that I want them to be. I'm out. And sometimes you miss the miracle of what God was going to do in your relationship because of impatience. I've seen it happen in careers. I've seen people just go into self-destruct mode professionally because they say, you know what? I deserve more than this, quicker than this. I'm out. I'm done. And they go into sabotage mode. And they miss the miracle that God was going to do through them, through their profession, because of impatience. And unfortunately, I see it in parenting as well. Parents, grandparents say, you know what, I'm done. I'm out. They're never going to get it. That's all they're ever going to be. And they give up on their kids. And unfortunately, the kids miss the miracle that God was going to do for them through the parents. If you were a parent or if you're a grandparent, that's an option that you just don't have. You don't ever get to say, I'm done. You're in it until the day you die. Whatever it is, impatience could be the biggest obstacle between us and the revelation of God in our world. You see, impatient people, they want God to operate on their timetable. But in your notes, patient people, call them B, they place their trust in God's timing. We, we become arrogant when, when we tell God what his timing needs to be, or when we move on without God. We th think about the two characters of the story, King David and King Saul, both kings of Israel. But King David, he would go on to be one of the greatest kings of all time. King Saul, not so much. What was the difference between the two? Saul was an impatient man. Saul didn't trust God's timing. Saul wanted God to operate on his timetable. Saul moved on without God. But David, he waits. He actively waits for God's timing. How does, how does David pray? I want to go back to this again at the beginning of, of his prayer. He's saying, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? He's asking God, how long? He sees the pain of the attack, but he's asking, how much longer? He's not saying, okay, I'm done waiting. I'm done asking how long, God. I'm moving on without you. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I want to handle this myself. That's not what he's saying. In the middle of his despair, 
in the middle of his storm, he continues to wait for God. Do you know why? Because when the storm hits, patient people, column A, they don't fixate on the storm. So here we are. David is, is wandering through the wilderness. Saul's on his tail there in chapter 23, verse 26. So Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. Did you catch that? David's on one side of the mountain. Saul's on the other of the same mountain. That's how close they were. But even in that moment, you see, here's the thing. David's not running away from Saul. He's running towards God. He's not running away from a bad situation. He's running towards a good one. You need to understand when the storm hits, you have more than one option. It's not just, I got to run away from this. You always have the option. God, I'm running towards you. Whether there's a storm or not, I'm always running towards the good situation. You always got that choice. Listen to how he prays. He he begins with, how long? How long, O Lord? How long will you hide your face with me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? How long will my enemy triumph over me? You hear this. You, you can feel the depression, the despair, the raw emotion in David's prayer. But this is what makes this such a powerful prayer. He begins with these lists of complaints, but look how he finishes his prayer. Verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Do you hear that? How long? But I trust. God, I don't want this pain anymore, but I trust. God, how much longer am I going to be in misery, in isolation? But I trust. In your notes, patient people, when the storm hits, they're not looking at the storm. Column B, they keep their eyes on God, no matter what. This is why it's such a powerful prayer for me. It's why it's one of my favorites. Pain and hope, misery and joy all together in the same moment. See, David doesn't wait for the pain to go away to start claiming his hope in God. See, this is, what, this is how the storm can teach you something very, very powerful. It teaches you how to sing to God in the midst of your pain. It teaches you how to claim your hope in God in the presence of suffering, a suffering that you're not even sure how long it's going to last, to claim joy, hope, and trust even in that moment. How did he do this? How did did David develop this kind of trust in God? Because it wasn't his first storm. He knew God's love was unfailing because he experienced it as a shepherd. He experienced it as he faced Goliath. David knew... God was faithful because he had experienced it before. And David had a moment in his life that he could point to when the storm hit to say, ah, yeah, but I remember this. Do you have that moment? Do you have that moment in your life that you can point to? If you notice, I always wear this around my wrist. There's a reason why I wear this around my wrist, because it reminds me of the unfailing love of God, that God is trustworthy. And it's just, it's just two, two numbers. 
latitude and longitude, but the place, the point that, it, that it, it speaks to. Just on the other side of that column, in the foyer, there's a TV. On the other side of that, I could, I could point almost directly to the tile that I was standing, the moment where, for the first time, I met this adorable little red-headed seven-month-old boy who would one day call me dad. And it was at that same spot where I met his mom, the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen, a woman I, I had no business asking out, so far out of my league, but I'm like, what do I got to lose? <laughs> and years later, she would stand in front of a bunch of people and look at me and say, I do. And it was at that moment, at that point, where God created a family that years later would bring about the most adorable little girl I've ever laid eyes on. I look at this, and I think about that point, and I think about what God did, and I think, man, Chris, you have really screwed up over the years. You've made a mess of things time and time and time again. Yet, despite all of that, look what God did through you. Look what God did for you. And so I've got this that I can point to, and when the storm hits, I can pray, God, how long? But I trust. Do you have that moment? Do you have that moment that you can point to? If you don't connect with one moment in time, it was pivotal for you where you became aware of the grace of God in a powerful way that it changed your life. Have something that points to it so that when the storm hits for you, you can pray, how long? But I trust. And when you pray, you listen. David listens. You can, you can almost hear the voice of God in, the, in this prayer. You don't see it, but it's there. Somewhere between verse 4 and verse 5, there's a pause. And I imagine in that moment, David pausing to listen. He's li listing out all these complaints about there's this, there's this. How long am I going to have to deal with this? How long am I going to have to deal with this? And I think in that moment, God speaks to him. When your kids, when they come to you and they're freaking out and they're worried, I do this often. I'll have to do this with my kids. There comes a point where they ask enough questions, finally I'll, I'll just look at them and say, hey, do you trust me? If you do, don't worry. Just follow me. Right there between verse 4 and verse 5, I imagine God looking to David and saying, hey, David, do you trust me? If you do, come follow me. And how does David respond? But I trust in you, God. This is how I want to finish, real light. But I want to give you a couple of things to think about, a couple of things to maybe do this week. Because, look, patience isn't something you wake up one day and like, ah, oh, I got it, I found it, <laughs> I have patience now. It doesn't work that way. A couple of specific challenges I want to encourage you. And some of you, this is going to be very difficult. But for one week, one week, I want to challenge you, don't lay on your horn in the car unless it's to avoid a car wreck. Don't do it. If the car in front of you doesn't go when the light turns green, avoid the urge to lay on the horn and just kind of sit back and just take a moment. You know what? I got a free moment. This person is forcing me to be still. I'm going to do it. Just do that. Try that. I, I, I'm fascinated by the fact that we, we seem to be a people always in a hurry, but we're never really sure where it is we're going. I'll let, I'll let you chew on that one. Second thing is this, is I, I, I want you to find some stillness in your day beyond the morning time, because we're all, we're all doing the morning time with God, right? That's the thing? Yeah? Okay, good. So beyond that, find another time where you can be still. And it doesn't mean physically be still. You can be moving around. You can be surrounded by people. You can be in the crowd, but find a way to create some stillness within you amidst the chaos. 
And one of the things you're going to have to do in order to do that is you're going to have to find a way to wean yourself off the adult pacifier. Do you know what the adult pacifier is? Yes, a lot of people are saying, yeah, that's very true, that's very true. And then they go right back to it. <laughs> Get away from it. The other thing is if you read a headline, read the article. There's a novel concept. You, you know what a caricature artist is? A car- what a caricature artist will do is they'll look at a person, they'll pick out what is their most outrageous feature, and then they're going to draw the portrait, and they're going to exaggerate that feature of that person. The headline is the caricature of the article. Do you understand what I mean? Read the whole thing. And not only that, ask yourself, who wrote it? Do they know what they're talking about? Are they trustworthy? The last thing I want to invite you to do is this. And this will really be difficult for a lot of people, but that's this. Cut yourself some slack. Some of you are wound up tighter than a three-day clock and you're ready to pounce all the time. Relax. Sometimes the reason why you're so impatient with others is because internally, that's how you are with yourself. Give yourself one bonehead move a day, one get-out-of-jail-free card a day that you're not going to ride yourself so hard about. You're not going to rag yourself about that screw-up. You're going to accept it for what it is, and then you're going to move on. Just, just do that. And, and for one week, see how that impacts how you treat others. It's going to be a great week, right? We're all going to do really good. We're going to come back next Sunday excited about how we develop this whole new level of patience. We're going to do that, right? Yeah? Great. I'm looking forward to it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that that you are so patient with us. We talk about waiting on you, but God, how long have you been waiting on us to understand where you're leading us, what you're saying to us, what you're doing in us? So Father, we say thank you for your patience with us. And as we experience your patience, Father, allow that patience to flow through us into the world so that the world, when the world sees people that have come out of the church, they see people that have been transformed by your love, by your patience. They see a people renewed with a sense of love for the people around them. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Hey, guys, remember before you leave, go out, sign the new space, sign up for family camp, and enjoy your day. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.